You're listening to a message at Riverland Hills Baptist Church by Dr. Ryan Pack. If you're in the Columbia area, come worship with us this Sunday at 9, 1015, and 1130. Check us out on Facebook or visit riverlandhills.org to find out more about our ministries. Last Sunday evening, late last Sunday evening in Las Vegas, Nevada, we were confronted once again in the United States of America with another shocking tragedy. A madman from a 32nd floor of a hotel shot down into an open venue concert with 22,000 people attending, killing 59 people and injuring more than 500 people. When those things happen and when we wake up in the morning and see those type images on the news and hear about what has happened, many questions come to our mind and some of the questions are pointed towards God. God, how could you allow such suffering? God, why didn't you stop it? God, why is there such evil in the world? And why can evil such as that show its head? And why is it it able to do and accomplish what evil is allowed to accomplish? So we have questions. And we wonder why those things happen. After the events of this past week, I have decided to pause our sermon series on Ecclesiastes because I just want to answer the question this morning, how could a good God allow suffering? How could a good God allow suffering? If you haven't asked that question this week, I know you've asked that question before. And reality tells us there will be events and issues that will cause us to ask that question again. As a pastor, I want you to be equipped. Matter of fact, Scripture tells us that we need to be prepared to give a reason for our hope. I want you to be prepared to be able to answer the question, how could a loving God allow suffering and evil. You've thought it, you've asked it. Maybe people have even asked you. It's interesting in a George Barna survey, he asked the question, if you could ask God only one question and knew that he would give you an answer, which question would you ask? The number one response, why is there pain and suffering in the world? Now, theologians and philosophers have debated this question for thousands of years. The hallways of colleges and university and seminaries have tried to research this question and answer this question, but when this question really matters is when it hit, hits home to you. It's not about what's debated in academic hallways, but what matters is when you are confronted with pain and suffering, that's when the question becomes important to you. Some of you in this room, through job issues, through marriage struggles, through death, through sickness, through grief, through tragedies that have entered your front porch, that's when this question becomes real. 
Greg Laurie, the pastor at Harvest Christian Fellowship in California, suffered a tragedy in 2008 when his son died in a car accident. And it wasn't long after that that uh, Greg Laurie stood in his own pulpit and he asked the question, why do bad things happen to good people? And he said to his church, get out your pen and paper. I'm going to take this head on. I'm about to answer the question, why does God allow suffering? And then he paused for a moment. After losing his own son, and he looked at his congregation and he said, you got your pen out? Got your paper out? Because here's the answer to why God allows suffering. And he said, I don't know. He said, that's my answer. Now, there's a lot of things we won't know. And there's a lot of things that we will not have answered until we're face to face with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But today what I want to do is I want to help us. I want to give us some insights today to help us understand what God is doing and how God is at work, even in the midst of tragedies such as Las Vegas last Sunday night. I promise you I won't answer every one of your questions because I can't. I'll tell you one of the reasons I can't answer all of your questions is because God is God and I am not. But as your pastor, I want to equip you. And since today this is a heavy topic, I promise you this is not the lollipops and cotton candy sermon, okay? But I believe it's important. And that's why I've paused Ecclesiastes today to deal with something that I believe is very important. So would you join me as we pray? I want to pray for you because many of you have faced great suffering and tragedy. Many of you are overwhelmed right now by what we faced this past week. And so I want to pray for us as we enter in this time together. Father, I thank you that you're in absolute control even when our world seems out of control. Father, I know there's people in this room that have faced great personal tragedies. They may be wondering right now, how could a good God allow evil and suffering? And so, Father, I pray that you would speak to us in our souls, in the place where we hurt, in the place where we long for answers. I pray, Father, that you would speak to us, that we would listen to you, Father, that we would be sensitive to your Holy Spirit. And I pray today, Father, that your Holy Spirit would fill this room. And I pray that you would speak directly to each one of us. Father, we also come right now and pray for the hundreds of people that are suffering right now because of a mad, crazed gunman last Sunday night. And so, Father, I pray right now for those families. I pray for Christ followers that are in the path of those who are suffering. And I pray, Father, that the name of Jesus would be exalted. And I pray, Father, that the hope that comes through Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and the comfort that you bring, that you comfort the brokenhearted. Father, I pray right now that you would provide your comfort in the midst of great tragedy and great hurt. And I pray in this room, as our hearts wrestle, that you would comfort us. So, Father, we look forward to hearing from you as you speak, and we pray this in Jesus' name.
Amen. All I can do this morning is give you insights into suffering. The first insight I want to give you into suffering, and by the way, this isn't rocket science. This is just some practical answers into a very difficult topic. Insight into suffering, number one, we have to accept the fact there will be suffering in a fallen world. There will be suffering in a fallen world. We can't tiptoe through the tulips and pretend like everything's going to uh, be peaches and cream all the time and everything's going to go perfectly. We have to hit with reality right where reality is. There will be suffering in a fallen world. If you would, write down this verse. I'm gonna give you various verses I want you to have to equip you. And the first verse I wanna provide you with is Romans chapter five, verse 12. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because of sin. Now, I can give you a very basic reason for suffering, and one of the very basic reasons for suffering is the fall of man. The fall of of man. In other words, sin is a byproduct of a fallen world. Well, then the question arises, why did God not make us so that we would not sin? Wouldn't that have been an easier solution? Why didn't he make us so we would not sin? Well, that has to take us back to Adam and Eve, it has to take us back to the garden. Another question that arises when we talk about this is, why, did God not, why didn't God just create a perfect world? Well, he did. <laughs> he created a perfect world and wanted an unhindered, perfect relationship with human beings, you and me. Well, then why did God leave the door open so that people could sin? And here's why. You cannot have real love and a real relationship without choice. You cannot have real love and a real relationship without choice. In other words, if God forced us to love him, we would be robots and puppets. If God said, you have to love me, you will love me. I'm gonna keep my thumb down on top of you and make you love me. Friends, if that was the facts of what God did, that's not love. That's being a robot, that's being a puppet. So what God did is God created us to have a choice. God created us to have a free will because real love happens when we choose to love. For example, take my marriage with Heather. What if I was in our marriage because I was forced to love Heather? What if I said, I don't want to love Heather, but I was forced to do it. And because I was forced to do it, I do it. You would say, well, Ryan, you don't have a marriage. 
Because if I was forced to love Heather, that wouldn't be real love. That would be me being a robot. That would be me being a puppet and being forced to do it. But you know what makes our relationship beautiful? I chose to love Heather Pack. And Heather Pack chose to love me. And I love her and she loves me. We have a beautiful relationship and I love my wife. Matter of fact, I don't know if I've told you or not, but you have an awesome pastor's wife at Rivlin Hills. I'm just gonna tell you. But you know what? In a loving husband and wife relationship, you know what door is still left open when the door of love is left open? Do you know that the option is still left open that the man or the wife could rebel? Could choose to turn their back on their spouse? Could choose to make a poor decision? could choose to run from the relationship, could choose to cheat, could choose to make those choices. Well, if you're gonna have real love, you have to leave the door open. If you're going to have real love, you have to leave the door open that we could also rebel. The source of evil is not God's power, but mankind's freedom. So then the question is, well, why doesn't God just stamp out evil so that a crazed gunman can't take an elevator to the 32nd floor and rent a hotel for the weekend that overlooks a crowd of 22,000 people and shoot down on them so that it's so maddening and so crazy that they don't even know where the shots are coming from? Why doesn't God just stamp out evil? Well, hang on to the scriptures. He will stamp out evil. But I want you to understand something. When God chooses to bring ultimate judgment on us is up to him and not up to us. It's interesting. Criticizing God for not doing it now is like reading half a novel and criticizing the author for not resolving the plot. You see, you and I are only reading half the novel. We're only in the middle of the story. God's been at work from eternity to eternity. There will be a time that God stamps out evil. There will be a time that God does that. But you need to understand this. If right now, let's say at 12 o'clock today, God chooses to stamp out all evil. Well, if God chooses to stamp out all evil at 12 o'clock today, you and I are in trouble and let me tell you why. Because the human heart is evil. Before we point fingers at a crazed gunman, we have to understand that each one of us have sinned and each one of us have evil in our heart, which brings us to our second insight into suffering, which is the human heart is sinful. In Romans chapter 3, verse 23, for all have sinned, and fall short of the glory of God. That's you, that's me, that's a crazed gunman, for all have sinned. You can go look at uh, Romans chapter three, starting in verse 10, verses 10 through 12. The scripture says, none is righteous, no, not one. 
No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. It's an interesting question that people often ask me as a pastor. Couldn't have all, since God is all powerful, couldn't he have stopped that gunman? It's the same question we asked back in uh, September 11th, 2001. God's all powerful, right? God's in control of everything, right? Well, of course he is. Well, if God's all powerful and God's in control of everything, why did he not stop the terrorists that hijacked the airplanes that went in to the World Trade Center towers? I mean, God's powerful, right? Since God's powerful, he is so powerful, he could have stopped the elevator on the way to the 32nd floor with that gunman in it, right? God's got the power to do that. God's so powerful, he could have jammed all 23 guns in that hotel room. God's powerful enough that he could have jammed all 23 guns in that hotel room. God's all-powerful to the point that all the ammunition the gunman had in the hotel room, God could have turned that ammunition into cotton balls. God's all-powerful. He could have done that. But even if he jammed every gun, and even if he turned the ammunition into cotton balls, there's still a problem, the human heart. If God would have jammed every gun, guess what's still inside the heart of the crazed gunman? Evil, sin, rebellion. Still inside the heart of that man is a heart that's turned against God. And guess the condition we find ourselves in, all of us in this room, is that we've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. There's no one righteous, no, not one. And you know what we often do? We often compare ourselves to other people instead of comparing ourselves to the holiness of God. And what we'll do is we'll say, well, thank goodness I'm better than the crazed gunman. Thank goodness I'm better than the person I read about on the front of the, of the internet today. Thank goodness I'm better than that person. Friends, we need to stop comparing ourselves with other people and compare ourselves with the one thing that matters. Are we holy before a holy God? Not the comparison of other people, but before the light and glory of God. When we lived in Hendersonville, North Carolina, we replaced the carpet in most of our house, but we were trying to save some money at that time. And we did not replace the old carpet that was in an office area. And so we said, you know what? It was one of those rooms that didn't have an overhead light. So we were using lamps in that room anyway. And as long as the light was dim and as long as all we used were lamps, you really couldn't see some of the stains in the carpet. So it worked for us. We positioned furniture in the right places, right? Uh, we uh, used lamps, and so we had nice carpet in other places in the house, but didn't put new carpet in that place in the house. And it was all fine and dandy until the break of day when the sun would shine directly through the windows in that room. And when the bright, beautiful sunlight shined through those windows onto that carpet, can I tell you what you saw? <laughs> You saw every single stain in that carpet. 
You see, if we compare ourselves to darkness, we look pretty good, right? But if we compare ourselves to what really matters, the glory of God, we are filthy rags in desperate need of a savior. Jesus addressed this issue in the Sermon in the Mount in chapter five of Matthew. You see, the Pharisees thought, hey, I'm holier than thou. I'm better than a murderer. I'm better than someone that commits adultery. So I haven't committed those sins. So I'm better off. Then Jesus preaches the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus says, have you ever had anger in your heart? And Jesus says, if you have anger in your heart, you're a murderer. Then we could boast and brag and say, well, wait a minute, I've never committed adultery. I've never been unfaithful to my wife. And Jesus said, have you ever looked on, some, have you ever looked on someone with lustful intent? Jesus says, you've already committed adultery in your heart. You see, the issue that has to be addressed is the issue of the heart. And God in his sovereignty has given us the option to choose God or to run from God. He's given us the option to say yes to Jesus or rebel against Jesus. He's given us the option to love him and love people or to hate him and hate people. So I wonder today if you've settled the issue of the heart have you made a decision to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you personally said yes to Jesus Christ? And please notice, I didn't ask you if you were better than your neighbor. I didn't ask you if you were more moral than the person you read about on the internet yesterday. I didn't ask you if you've done a few good things. I didn't ask you if you were a churchgoer. I didn't ask you if you were a pew sitter. I'm asking you, have you chosen Christ? Have you received his grace? Do you know him as your Lord and Savior? Because the human heart is sinful. And we're all in need of the work of the cross and what Jesus has done for us in shedding his blood for us so that we could be forgiven of our sins. Insight into suffering, number one, there will be suffering in a fallen world. Why does that happen? Because for us to have real love, there has to be left the door of possibility that someone would do the opposite of love and rebel. Other words, otherwise, we're just robots and puppets. Second insight is the human heart is sinful. So even if God stopped airplanes and even if God stopped guns, there's still an issue of the human heart. It must be addressed. Third insight is all suffering has a greater purpose. All suffering has a greater purpose. When we go to movies, 
We sit on the edge of our seat in a movie because we don't know what's gonna happen next. We don't know how the plot is going to unfold. And so we sit there wondering, all right, who's gonna come around the next corner? What's gonna happen with that situation? And we are intense. Sometimes we're nervous, sometimes we're scared, but we're wondering what's next, what's next, what's gonna happen? What is next in the plot of this movie? And we're on the edge of our seat. Can I tell you one person when they watch a movie that's never on the edge of their seat? The screenwriter. The screenwriter's never nervous about the next scene. The screenwriter's never worried about who's gonna jump out from around the corner. The screenwriter's never worried whether that character's gonna live or die. The screenwriter's never worried about it. Why? Because they know the purpose. They know what's next. Romans chapter eight, verse 28. Romans eight twenty-eight says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose, that all things work together for the good. Write down also, if you would, 1 Peter chapter 4, 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 and 13 Beloved, do not be surprised as the fiery, at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. There's a purpose behind every plot that unfolds. I don't always understand it all. I don't always understand how that piece fits into the puzzle. I don't always understand how that purpose works for the good. I don't always get that and understand that. But according to scripture, all things work together and God uses all things for our good. I want you to think back when you learned to ride a bike or when your parents taught you to ride a bike. It's an exciting moment in a child's life. When they finally get the training wheels off and when they take that first ride by themselves and parents, you remember that moment, they've either had the training wheels or you've walked with them around the neighborhood as many times as you can and there comes a moment, guess what you do? You let go and you let that bike go and you know that kid's gonna fall. You know the kid's gonna fall. You've seen all these videos of kids running into mailboxes and flipping over in the yard and all that type stuff. Now, are we crazy parents? Are we off our rockers because we allow our kids to run into a mailbox or to flip over sideways? No, we know exactly what takes place. They have to learn and to learn to learn how to balance on a bike, to learn some freedoms in life. We know there's gonna be a few scabs and scars. We know that. Now don't go turn me into DSS as a bad parent <laughs> because I allowed my kid to flip over in the yard or because I allowed my kid to fall over on the pavement. No. I'm not being a bad parent, I'm being the best parent possible. There's certain pains that happen. 
that teach us, that grow us, that point us the right direction, that show us that there's more to life, that open our eyes to what's next for us. All suffering has a greater purpose. I know in ministry, I've seen the mystery of that statement. When people go through horrific situations, but yet they tell me, do you know, pastor, that difficult situation brought me closer to God. I can't really explain it, but I just know I understand God at a deeper level now. On the front end of it, I would have never chosen to walk through that darkness. I would have never chosen to go through something that painful. But pastor, I'll tell you right now that somehow that suffering showed me more of God. And somehow that suffering brought me closer to him. All suffering has a greater purpose. And fourth, I want you to understand that all suffering is felt by God. When we hear news like we heard last Sunday evening, we often shake our fist at God and we say, God, are you so distant that you don't feel our pain? Do you not see what people are going through right now? And then I'm reminded of what David wrote in Psalm 34, verse 18. Write this down, Psalm 34, verse 18. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. I want you to hear this today. Those of you in this room that are brokenhearted, those of you in this room that are crushed, I want you to hear the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. You are not alone. He never leaves us or forsakes us. There may be moments where life with God seems very quiet. There may be moments where we wonder when is he going to work and what is going on but I'm here to tell you that God feels and knows every pain. Philosopher Peter Kreft said, the Christian God came to earth to deliberately put himself on the hook of human suffering. He was willing to walk through pain for you and me. That's the amazing part of the gospel is not that we work our way to God, but that God came to us and the amazing uniqueness of the gospel is that God is not some faraway deity that doesn't understand what we're going through, but he came to us to walk through what we go through. He feels, he knows, he felt hunger, he felt thirst, he felt physical pain, he felt rejection. Jesus felt everything that you and I feel. So if you've ever tried to say God doesn't love me because I'm going through some dark pain right now, that would be a false statement because in the midst of the cross, God loved his son in the midst of suffering and God had you and me in mind. That's how much he loves us. He loves us and he feels all pain. Corey Ten Boone wrote, no matter how deep our darkness, God is deeper still. So why are people getting away with evil, pastor? Why are they getting away with it? Well, I want to tell you something. According to the word of God, they aren't. <laughs> they aren't getting away with anything. Every one of us will have to give an account 
for the way we've lived our life, every one of us will face judgment. Nobody is getting away with anything. Because we all are held accountable. How can a mere finite human be sure that infinite wisdom would not tolerate certain short-range evils in order for more long-range goods that we can't foresee? I can't see everything. I can't answer everything. But I know this for sure. God is always with us through everything we go through. I know that all suffering is felt by God. I know, know that all suffering has a greater purpose. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you never leave us or forsake us, but you're always there with us. Father, I thank you that you have a greater plan than we can understand. And I thank you, Father, that you are at work in all things and all ways. So Lord, we worship you. We praise you. We thank you. We thank you for the plan that you have for our life. And Father, we thank you that you are with us during times of tragedy and suffering. And Lord, I pray that we would be bold enough today to make the decisions that we need to make, not to choose to turn against you, but to come home to you and to receive you as our Lord and Savior. And we pray this in Jesus' name.